Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel, your host, and so happy to be with us for this episode. My guest is Dan Feldman of Dunktown Prime, of the Daily Dunks, and a great person to break down the first, let's call it the first two days of the off-season free agency period. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's a good way of putting it. And there's so much to discuss here. And so for Dan to put it in perspective and get into it, and we also, of course, are informed by our experience as two of the four people in the Dunked On mock-off season, which completed its ninth season. So we talked about that a little bit too. Episode is brought to you by FanDuel. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to join today. And here we go. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. There's a lot to discuss, and we're not going to get to everything. That's completely fine. <laughs> you and I have other avenues that we can get into all the all of the details. But what do you think is the most important thing, the biggest takeaway from, let's narrow the field to just free agency for now, though, of course, we'll talk about the draft. But of these last couple of days, what's the biggest thing to you? Uh, does Do James Harden and Damian Lillard, who are not free agents, does that count? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, we're going to see two... At least one, maybe two, depending on how much James Harden still has left in the tank, landscape-altering trades. True, and we'll also get to see like what the what the returns are in those deals is going to be very important. How good are the teams that they eventually go to? And you know, it's, things have kind of moved in the direction of it being Miami for Lillard. I don't think that's done. If it were done, I think it'd be reported. But. I am not a championship or bust person. I think there's a lot of meat on the bone for for every team in the league. But Lillard is the caliber of player who, I don't know that he could be the best player on a title team right now, but he is definitely somebody who can be firmly in the mix on a title team. And at least one of the destinations that is in play for him, I think that could be the case. I mean, I, th- I think absolutely he could be the best player on a title team. Um would he be a slightly uh, lower than some of the other guys we've seen recently be the best player on a title team? Yeah, but that doesn't mean he can't. Uh, sure, that that's fair. That's fair too. Yeah, um, yeah. I I don't know. I I would love to get him on my team. He's still playing at an awesome level. Um, I I think uh, you, me, and Nate. Uh, I I can't remember for sure, but I feel like we all had him either first team All NBA or like in strong consideration for it. He didn't. I don't remember what team he ended up on um, in in the actual voting, but he he's obviously playing still at a super high level. Uh, you know. I, I think approaches the game in a lot of ways the right way. Um, yeah, it'll be in in some respects it'll be nice to see him with more help around him. And um, I I don't even know. Yeah, I'm gonna strike that. I'm gonna put it a better way. It'll be nice to see. Ideally, is him just playing more games, playing deeper into the playoffs. I just want to see Damian Lillard play. I didn't need to see him with more help around him. Obviously, uh, it's kind of weird depending how you want to parse those things. They they go hand in hand. Uh, but I always thought that should be the Trailblazers' goal, is be in position to play as many playoff games with Damian Lillard as possible. And to be in the mix is going to be a fundamentally different thing for Lillard. Yes, they did make a conference finals, but they got swept. In, in a, But the Warriors had a number of big comebacks in a series where they didn't have Kevin Durant. And to see Lillard's strengths and flaws against that caliber of competition, hopefully for multiple seasons, is extremely exciting. That's something I want to know and see for every great player in the league. And so for Lillard, yeah, it's coming a little later than it could have. But the possibility of it coming at all is still thrilling. I mean, 
Don't you feel like I feel like we already know that? I, uh, you know, he had that series against Denver where he was just incredible. The tri- the Trailblazers lost, but that was like an awesome back and forth series. Jokic was great in that series too. Uh, probably had a little more help than Lillard did. Um, you know, Lillard had that awesome series, and especially the Ender against the Thunder. Who okay, not the very best team, but that was a pretty darn good team. Like I, I I've seen enough of Damian Lillard to know he can handle that. I want to see him against kind of more consistent defensive teams. And the, mm-hmm. the the cauldron that could be coming to him in the Eastern Conference has a lot of that. And they're teams with very different strengths and weaknesses defensively. I mean, we saw the Bucks re-sign Brook Lopez and Giannis, or not Giannis, Brook Lopez and Chris Milton alongside Giannis. And so if Lillard ends up on a team that faces them in the playoffs, the the Celtics now with Porzingis, that's a little bit different than it was before. <laughs> and so... I hope we get that opportunity. And like, that's the other parallel, like James Harden, even though he hasn't made an NBA finals, like he's played in a lot of high level series and the track record is not, not universally great. And like you said, how his game ages is less confidence inspiring than Lillard just because of kind of how it works and also how, how he plays and how he takes care of his body and everything else. But Harden can still help out a really good team. He did that just last year. And what what circumstances these guys get, guys get into? And it was you know like when I was lower on Philly as a title contender over the last year than many, and it was for a variety of reasons, some of which were Harden centric. But let's say it ends up being the Clippers, and there's no guarantee as we're recording this that that's the case. They have the ability to cover up some of his weaknesses, and Harden deserves credit for modifying his game somewhat in Philly and becoming a little bit of a different player than he was before. And so if it happens, it will be an all-new situation, an all-new test for him and his eventual teammates, whoever those are. Yeah, I mean, he adjusted his game, and and I'm with you. Um, I I thought he should have been an all-star this year. I was frankly surprised, really surprised he wasn't. Maybe uh, his reputation is a little different if he had that all-star berth, but, you know, to me, he was all-star level. Um, Has has become more of a playmaker, and, you know, I think the... A problem is he has adjusted his game, yes, but it's also been while his overall game has declined, right? Some of this is adjusting to survive. This isn't like Harden is prime saying, I, I need to tweak things to be more of a winning player or whatever. This is this is uh, post-peak Harden. I, I would say still in his prime, but post-peak for sure. Uh, the problem with James Harden, this style, previous style, any style, he doesn't deliver in the playoffs. Like Damian Lillard, we've seen it over and over. Also with Harden, we've seen it over and over in the other way. True. And does being theoretically being the second or third best player on a team lower those stakes enough that they can survive the hits and misses? I mean, they did take the Celtics to seven games. The Celtics then didn't make the NBA Finals, but they're, of course, a good team. So, yeah, I agree with you there. And then where I want to jump to, because we don't know the terms of that, and of course you and I will break down those trades in glorious, excruciating mm-hmm. detail once they actually come to pass. The free agency story for me that is the most fascinating is the Houston Rockets. And Agreed. on day one, you know, that abridged day one because things started six Eastern and three Pacific, they were the number one story. They got Fred Van Vliet for on a three-year max deal away from the Toronto Raptors. And we'll talk about the Raptors part of it, hopefully, too. That I completely understood. It was 
you know, it's it's a lot of money for Van Vliet, but he, there aren't that many players who do some of the things that he does well. And also, I one of my favorite elements of Van Vliet on the Rockets is that his game meshes with the possibility that one or more of their young creators steps up. So if Amen Thompson is as good as I hope he is in year one or year two, Fred Van Vliet can work with that. If he disappoints, then Van Vliet has the offense more, and same with Jalen Green, who is a more established commodity in the NBA because he's, you know, played in the NBA. So going hard there, I'm 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 understanding, especially when you consider, you know, like they have more money than they knew what to do with, and the third year, you know, that might be suboptimal, but that's the way these things go sometimes. Then there's what happened today. <laughs> <laughs> that feels different. Dylan Brooks. Mostly, yes. I mean, Brooks... Um, where Van Vliet, you know, like the elements make sense and even his weaknesses are tolerable for the Rockets. Dylan Brooks is, can create some big problems. He is a talented, wonderful defender, especially his best moments. But one of the key flaws of the Rockets over the last few years, which will be improved with Van Vliet and just the progression of their players, is kind of passing feel and unselfishness. Like those have all been real big problems for the Rockets, why they've had such terrible offenses over these last few years. Dylan Brooks is a more established player, but his, what he is established for in many ways is those exact same problems. Yes, but uh, Houston had other problems too. They're, uh, I don't know. They're, um, hmm. I don't want to say effort because that's not quite the right word. Like I think the Rockets played fairly hard, but they didn't channel their effort in in the right ways. They well, were it's, they were it's, too it's, haphazard. It's kind of like applied athleticism, but for overall play. Yeah, uh, there. I mean, well, first of all, I, the the easier thing to describe is the Rockets were lousy defensively. Also, did they have all kinds of offensive problems? Of course, but they were also just bad defensively. And Dylan Brooks is a really good defender, um, but he also plays with a tenacity on the court i like the applied athleticism let's call it applied effort his effort you feel it on the court it it makes a difference positively for his team now off the court in a press conference uh some of the things there that might not be the best application of his uh tenacity but on the court it works i think it mostly works it definitely works on defense i mean i don't think anybody any of us should impeach what he has done there but offensively i've been frustrated by the disconnect between the offensive player that he could be on a successful team and the offensive player he is willing to be on a successful team because memphis each of the years got a little bit weird because of you know the injury to john morant in 22 Mm -hmm. and then what happened in 23 but Dylan Brooks has shown a steadfast refusal to scale back his role when circumstances indicate that he should. Now, that is not every time, especially like when Morant got hurt and there were other times it's like, well, somebody has to take these shots. And that compounded by some concerns I have about him, even if he accepted that smaller role, you know, the jump shot not being consistent and his drives being hit or miss. So I'm less enthusiastic about that component of it especially when you consider that if dylan brooks is is like the sole drag on your offense i think you're totally fine like then then it's a reasonable problem to have but how they fit together brooks and amen thompson and alpern shangun who is a good player but you know doesn't really space the floor at least for right now i i think that they're not collectively going to put some of the other players in the best situation to succeed on that end of the floor that part there's there's nothing i'm 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 with you 
as far as like the shot selection, the shot volume things, that's why you have Ime Adoka. This is why you hired Ime Adoka, because he is going to tell Dylan Brooks, you can't do this. And he's going to demand Dylan Brooks does it. And he's going to demand his players play the right way. And he has a, a, a temperament and a personality and a an experience as an NBA player where we, we've already seen a, a high-level team buy in and follow what Imidoka says, and they made the NBA Finals. So he has even more credibility on that front now. And so that's that part of it, That that's on Adoka, right? That's on him, too. This is what you hired him for. And, uh, well, if he can't reach Dylan Brooks, then uh, you got a problem, and um, <laughs> I, I don't know which direction, but at least one. um but yeah i hear you on the the fit not being great uh that's concerning um i also think to a certain degree uh hey you get you can overwhelm a team a little bit with with defense if your offense isn't the best fitting uh you can run more in those situations like there are there are ways to mitigate that and uh I, do you, I mean, I know this is not the easiest question or the fairest question, but like, do you have somebody else in mind of who they should have signed? And it's always tough to do with who knows who they could have gotten. Um, you know, they didn't sign Dylan Brooks on day one. It does not seem like they went out there and said, hey, Van Vliet's our, our priority and, and Brooks is our, our 1B. Nah, Brooks seemed to be a little bit farther down the line because especially with this money, y- you got to think that if the Rockets were offering this type of money early, that might have been enough on day one. The contract is the other thing I want to focus on. Um, so uh, to answer your initial question, I didn't love, especially once they lined up Van Vliet, which has fundamentally changed the picture. I, I, I've been pushing Austin Reeves on a number of these young teams on the idea that he can mesh, but the Rockets are actually the worst of those fits on the idea that they already have Jalen Green, they already have some of these other guys, and, and so Reeves doesn't solve the problems they have, and they need somebody who's more of like a, you know, 3-4, I would say, ideally. And they have a lot of 3-4s that I like. Uh, and uh, no. Also, you can't get Austin Reeves. <laughs> no, apparently not. And um, so, yeah, there, there aren't any particularly good ones, and I mean, Brooke Lopez signed a rich but reasonable contract with the Bucks. For me, the, the bigger thing, and it's funny because we focused on Brooks as a fit, is the contract they gave him and i i understand the idea that oh it's like oh they gave him this but it's like i don't understand i don't know who they were bidding against and and it's the this will come up with a few different players whether we talk about it or date and i do of the the dollars might make more sense on shorter years the years might might, might make <laughs> more sense with with less money per year but the combination with him means that it's harder to be accountable. And it means that if it doesn't work, it's harder to to move another way. And Houston, I don't think they... I don't think they had he, they were being leveraged sufficiently that they had to do this. And it's possible that you always get these from the most favorable view of the players in the very beginning that, you know, that last year is non-guaranteed or a team option than the year before that is half guaranteed or something like that. Sure, I will acknowledge if that's the well, case. Well, uh, according to Kelly Eco, it's fully guaranteed. Oh. But but I could see that last year being a team option. I don't consider. I understand the difference between guarantee and an option. But to me, if if you say that, you're indicating. Oh, he also said uh, no team options. So okay, uh, yeah. 
It's oh just boy. this. Yeah. So like, cause then, and I don't buy too much into the like, oh, he didn't learn his lesson or anything like that. But it is true that he did not really face many ill consequences from the from the Grizzlies saying no. And it reminds me of the reverse of what I talked about with the Hornets with Scoot, which is if if other people are falling all over themselves to bid for somebody and you're thinking about taking somebody else, maybe you should revisit that. Doesn't always mean that you're wrong and they're right. All Plenty of examples of that. But if the team that knows him best and mm-hmm. is going to be worse off not having him just from a pure talent standpoint says, peace, maybe reevaluate how, how <laughs> into him you are. Now, I'm not saying don't sign him. It could be even be that. But just like, don't bid against yourself to get into a situation where you lose leverage. Yes, but I think sometimes people like you and I who are, you know, so well-versed in the contracts, looking at the contracts, I- I've come around a lot on you need to get good players and you can uh you know seth and his his nerd nosh uh, uh for dunked on he didn't put it in these terms but but a lot of the information in this last nerd nosh hit at this about you're not going to get the best values in free agency right the best values are the cost controlled uh maximum players uh players who are worth clearly more than the max and have to have their money sent down to the max so i wouldn't call van vliet that um, and then the rookie scale guys where, where it's like that. And so that means by nature, the other guys are going to be overpaid. So this is the time you're overpaying, but you got to get good players. You can't like time is finite. You can't wait forever just to get uh, the best value, right? You're going to, you're going to miss opportunities. You have an opportunity here with a lot of cap space. And I hear you on the, the years I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it. It's a larger contract than I'd want to give him. I agree with that, but let's just say this is what it took. Like salary caps going up, you know, ideally you can front load it, um, you know, depending on we're still kind of seeing what's going on with Patty Mills and how the, the cap space is working, you know, but if you have too much money to spend, if you, if you can't use all of this monstrous cap space Houston had front load it, um, I, I don't know on a certain level, I wonder whether team, I don't, if you remember, was it 2015? All these, like, there were a lot of players who signed a one-year contract they wanted to get back for 2016 when the cap spiked. I feel like uh, some teams might regret doing shorter contracts. Now, like, maybe it was the players pushing for shorter contracts more so this year. Uh, but I wonder if teams should have been more aggressive with multiple years. I agree generally, though I, I will note that the cap that or the limitation using the word cap twice in the sentence is bad for two different definitions but the <laughs> limitation that the salary cap cannot rise more than 10 percent year yeah. to year that does to me reduce the pressure there now 10 percent is still a lot remember the cap is very high right now and, and and it'll be 10 percent multiple years right before it was exactly. like oh we got we got the one cap spike but and th- and then it leveled off it, if it should, quote unquote, should be based on the old system, you know, a 30% jump uh, in the first year of the new TV deal, well, that means we're going to be getting 10%, 10%, 10% over multiple seasons. And that might not start in 24, 25, but it should in 25, 26 at bare minimum. And so maybe we see more like a 5 to 6%. That's what the league's estimate is for next year. But the league is also sometimes very conservative on these. It wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being in the vicinity of 10%, maybe less, maybe more like 8 as the yeah 
things work out. And you brought up the idea of like fighting for value and everything else. And that, that even though you meant it in a, and and you were correct in a, in a free agent context that made immediately made me think of the Raptors and (laughs) this idea of whether you want to call it confidence in what they had or optimization of return or anything else that they, you know, Masai Ujiri has done some great things as the general manager there. And we should not discount, you know, him being the architect of the 2019 NBA champion, a team that was not a super team, but was really, really good and, and and deservedly won a title. I've been very frustrated over the years with the Raptors. And I think that came to kind of a boiling point of sorts over the last couple of days where they lost Van Vliet and maybe they didn't anticipate this kind of offer coming. And, you know, I, I mean, I wrote an article talking about how we didn't know who was going to get the most guaranteed money. So obviously I didn't see necessarily this whole thing coming. But the extreme reluctance to basically kind of acknowledge what they were when it became more and more clear what they were, even if he didn't know it, you know, like they had that, you know, COVID year, the hell year after after that in Tampa and everything else. Like, yeah, you, the, you can throw that out. But it's not only is it a long way, an awkward way down from here, but also like the way they responded, you know, basically the, you know, seeing the, seeing where things were and losing Van Vliet, but then also giving Jakob Pertl for four years, 80 million, and then responding to that by giving Dennis Schroeder too much money is just, it to me is just showing that it's, they're poor reactions to the situation on the ground. Uh micro point i'm not sure it's too much money for dennis schroeder he was really good in the playoffs let let me just say this if you got his playoff production is it too much money yes because 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 it works a lot better if you have somebody who's a superior offensive creator than he is and i mean lebron had to you know lebron wasn't pushing it in the same way but they did have it when they needed it so like if schroeder if you can make Schroeder the third or fourth best offensive player on the floor on your team at a given time, he can he can go super well. Like I love and you know get downhill and everything else. Like he had some great moments in the playoffs. But this Raptors team is just so weird because they have a number of guys who are better with the ball in their or who at least want the ball in their hands and in some cases are better because they're such bad shooters. And I don't know how they're going to fit together other than poorly. Yeah, I mean. I- so here's the macro point, and I'll tie it back. Masai Jerry came out and said it's championship or bust. That's their mindset. They're not trying to be a merely pretty good team. And basically, move they've made, and especially collectively, since he said that, it looks like a team that's just trying to be scraping into the playoffs, uh, you know, somewhat consistently, and doesn't have the super high upside. It's uh, He's run the team basically in the exact opposite way of what he said. If they want to make a big upside play with this roster – it's probably empowering Scotty Barnes as the de facto point guard. Um, I don't think he's necessarily ready for that or maybe would ever be ready for that. And This is obviously not the ideal supporting cast around him. But if you want to see, hey, how does this team break out of its slow slide? To me, that's the best path. It, I'll, I'll use a, a word here that isn't always used in this context, but my issue with that is ecosystem, which is... I, I, the, if you want it to be Scotty Barnes, well, then you're going to need guys who space the floor, guys who move without the ball. And, and they could do some of the things that the Raptors have done well over the last couple of years, like, you know, push the ball in transition and be monsters, forcing turnovers and on the offensive glass and ideally the defensive glass as well. Like that, there are elements of that that work with Barnes as the head of the snake, just as well as they work with Fred Van Vliet. You know, there are elements that are team wide and certain emphases and all that. 
but you have to if if that's what you're going to do you have to embrace it and they're also it's been a weird consistent thing that they haven't properly assessed the risk that their players just wouldn't want to be there anymore and in the Kawhi case I completely understand like they traded for him best player in a championship team left a championship team that doesn't happen very often and you you make that trade 100 times out of 100 they couldn't really extend him no problem there Lowry, Van Vliet, eh, like holding on to them. I mean, Lowry was Mr. Raptor and all that. And I think they're lining up to make that same mistake again with Siakam and Adobe or both. Maybe. I think one of the hardest things to evaluate is, look, if I told you, you know, for $1, uh, you you can spin on a wheel and there's a 99% chance you're, you're going to win $10, you would do that. Yeah? Sure. But what if you got the one out of 10 and all I and all somebody saw was you got the one out of 10 and they didn't know the rules of the game. I guess that you just threw away a dollar, right? Like, but but is it $10 in this case? Like, I mean, I think it's the the return. Sure. I, my, my, my point is just that you you don't know what what possibilities they had. What if they really thought, hey, uh, Van Vliet at the trade deadline, they had really good info that Van Vliet wanted to resign. And if not, they were very they had real good intel that almost certainly he was going to go to he wanted to go to uh, a team that was over that, the cap and so it was over the cap trade. and you knew what that team was willing to send and you liked that package like I, i'm not saying that was the case i'm definitely not uh giving them that benefit of the doubt i'm just saying if we're going to criticize them we, we should at least acknowledge the uncertainty of our criticism of now course. that that said even if they think they knew that they clearly were wrong i would argue multiple times i didn't really i'm not that big on precious achua um and so I don't know what they could have gotten for Lowry, but do I have my memory right? They kept Lowry, and then that was the year they basically threw in the towel early rather like, than like try and push for the play. After, if memory serves. Yeah, it's like, hey, Lowry is almost in in the boat where I had Damian Lillard, where the idea is, hey, you're just trying to win as much as possible with them, and whatever level that is, like, hey, you make the conference finals, that's better than the second round, it's better than the first round, it's better than the play-in tournament, but just the better you do, the better, right? You're just, any level of achievement is better, and and uh, there's just something uh, worthwhile and just competing. And then they didn't even compete with Lowry. And then they lost him. So even if they think they know what they can get in the offseason, it's it's backfired. And you just have to understand the unpredictability. Like, whatever Van Vliet was thinking at the trade deadline, sometimes players change their mind. Or they might have just been flat wrong. But if I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying they had a good idea of what uh, Van Vliet was going to do. I don't, they clearly didn't uh, game plan enough for the possibility that over several months he might fall in love with the team that has enough cap space to get him out right. They also, I mean, they're beauties in the eye of the beholder, and I know I'm higher on Gabe Vincent than others, and I don't know if the if the Raptors offered even a superior one to what Gabe Vincent got. He's from California, though Stockton is most certainly not Los Angeles, and maybe he would have gone to LA anyway. It's entirely possible. I mean, they did, you know, he's probably going to come off the bench for them, though I think Gabe Vincent's going to close some games, and maybe he would have chosen that over being the starting point guard for the Raptors, and when you consider the uncertainty of their direction, hey, he gets to play with LeBron for at least one year, and Anthony Davis maybe for a whole lot longer than that, depending on what AD does extension-wise and everything else. So maybe that's the case. But yeah, the lack of a response. And with Pirtle, it's paralleling, not a surprise because they signed for the same annual value, Vooch and some of the others where they're reasonable basketball players. Of course, I don't think anyone would deny that. But there is this weird, 
kind of like, I don't know if you want to call it doctrine or just whatever is out there, that like a center who starts games but isn't like a huge value add. Like, oh, you have to pay them solid starter money just like they played another position when they play the least valuable position on the floor if you're not an elite player. And I, you know, I've changed my thinking on this a little bit. And and Pirtle, especially if his rim protection comes back to where it was a couple of years ago, it's been a curiosity for me for a while now because he just had like a weirdly bad rim protection year when he was on the Spurs and has been much, much better before. But who was who was offering, and maybe the Spurs, but like who was offering Pirtle, who was offering Vooch 20 million a year other than the teams they were signed with with bird rights. Yeah, especially with Vucevic, I, I feel like uh, they were bidding against themselves. I didn't see how but with Pirtle, maybe there was somebody in the ballpark. You mentioned the the Spurs. I also think players can gain leverage um, by saying, hey, a mid-level exception offer, a non-taxpayer mid-level exception, uh, I'd rather be in that place so then, then get, let's say, $16 million a year from you. So you got to go ahead above that. you got to give me $20 million a year. That's what's going to beat a mid-level exception offer, right? It's not just money. And if you think about it, too, there are 29 other teams in the league, and I guess you could narrow it down by the, the number that would have the, the non-taxpayer level exception or, or something credible. But odds are there's a place other than the player's current team where he'd rather be. Like if, if Jakob Pertl could pick where he played, do you think it's on this Raptors team or do you think odds are it's probably somewhere else in the league? And, and same with Vucevic. It's a great point. And, you, you know, that leverage can be, I mean, we got into this with um, somebody in the mock-off season, Nate and I did, of what's like, well, why am oh, I think it was with Struess. And it's like, well, why am I bidding against myself? If you just want to take that, you take it. And sometimes that does lead to those guys getting really paid. And, and it's also true that these contracts will look better in time. You know, the later years of these deals, assuming the players live up to their reasonable standards, that that will look more like, you know, solid backup money in a couple of years of 10% or near 10% raises and how those I, compound on each other. And, and one other point I want to make on these, because these were, I mean, Vucevic was an extension and, and Pirtle was in pretty early too, right? I believe so, yes. I mean, tampering obviously happens. There's plenty of tampering. I think there are some limits, maybe. Like, it's very clear that teams can more easily talk to, I think, their own players more so than they can get the exact firm details with an outside player, with another team's player. And so part of what you're paying for is, like, Vucevic is the easier example, right? Because that was a an extension. And I, I don't think he was worth this money, but I never valued him in the same way the Bulls ever valued him. But part of what you're paying same. for is we're going to get you to uh, to agree to this rather than look in the market, right? Because we could say, okay, you know, we well, who are we bidding against? Like, what's the point of this? What offer are we beating? But what if he goes out there and gets a really big offer? And now you're in trouble. And so I, I do think there's... It's going to be more formalized, and we'll see how well the tampering rules are enforced next year when it goes into effect of, hey, right after the NBA Finals, you're going to be allowed to negotiate with your own players only. I do think, it, to a certain level, that's the process already. And so that's part of what you're bidding against, is just the the possibility of, of a much bigger offer, or even a somewhat bigger offer. And we do see players, you know, just when, they're, when their eye gets to wandering, they can become more intrigued, and also... Maybe, you know, the market thins out a little faster, and so things shake out a little bit differently. Maybe it's, you know, like the Van Vliet situation where do that. But, I mean, for me, centers, it's just a different paradigm because yeah. the supply is so big, and the the value 
I don't think we're going to be in this boat. I, we might not even be in it now where it's like, oh, you're always going to close small. I, I think that there are times when that's the case. I think that a lot of teams play better that way, but it's not going to be tenable against every level of opposition. And, you know, somebody like Akapurtle will make you better, even if he might not be like a bet, you know, starting center on a championship team level unless the rest of his team is really good. And there, there is utility in that, to be abundantly clear. Lots more to discuss, but first a message from FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to join today. And it's been a while since I was super in on baseball. I did grow up a huge baseball fan, but... FanDuel is a great way to kind of get back in if there's a specific matchup. Maybe it's a primetime game, or if you're somebody like me who loves watching Shohei Otani, you can get in that way too. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Must be 21 and over and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at fanduel.com sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. One thing I wanted to do during the rest of this is kind of go through some teams for each of us that we think did that did well, even if what they and it, I mean you're still welcome to pick teams that that did a lot and did well, but teams maybe that had less flexibility but did well within what they had. And for me, one of those teams is the Phoenix Suns, where the Suns already you know they already got Bradley Beal and they didn't have a huge asset price there because of the no trade clause, and they are they're this weird fascinating team. It's like well they have a lot of pressure to get minimum guys and minimum players notoriously like some of them work some of them don't and i'm not perfect at evaluating it but i think that generally speaking they got a bunch of good players and they got players who make sense with what they're going to do so i think like scaling it based on opportunity i thought the suns did really well i did too uh i did too but i've and maybe i don't know I feel like a lot of times when we praise a team like the Suns or I feel like a lot of the years it's the Lakers who are minimum shopping, uh, oftentimes it's, oh, did you get somebody for the minimum that was clearly an above minimum player? And of any of the guys the Suns signed, would you call any of them clearly above minimum players in terms of what you would have expected them to get? Not necessarily how you value them, but if you're like, yeah, going into free agency, if that guy, uh, I I was really sold that he was going to get more than the minimum. Not particularly. I mean, if we're yeah. counting it solely on my evaluation, Yud Watanabe would have been there. Yeah, yep, um, yep. And I think and, he should And maybe have. Eubanks. I like Eubanks, too. Oh, yeah, I like Eubanks, too. And so those two guys, you know, more like the Akogis, and, like, I think they did well relative, like, well among minimum guys. But I think yeah. that's, that is a really fair point to make. And it's also, like, in a weird way, it's... If we're, if we're adjusting it based on opportunity, it ends up being the case. Like, this happens with the draft. It's sort of the equivalent, in some ways, of, like, it being easier to tear down the buildup. It's easier to look good with this kind of offseason than it is, like, the big number ones because you're not, like... Because you can't have the contract outrage. And right. especially when it's a minimum, <laughs> like, they did better than average on minimum contracts, for sure. But, like, the alternatives are weird. You know, it's not like we're comparing... Cause, but then when you, you know, sign Player X 
for 17 million a year like Rui Hachimura it's like well then then that's something we can really compare to other facets yes uh the Suns got all their contract outrage out of the way with Bradley Beal yes they did um one team that fits that that i thought did really well is the golden state warriors mm-hmm. Ke- keeping draymond green was so important i mean that was gonna it was basically gonna destroy the franchise if they lost him and so yeah i think he had incredible internal leverage and you know uh the the warriors got him i don't know if i'd call it a bargain but considering the situation considering the stakes uh pretty pretty darn good and uh they're they're lowering his salary into next year which sets a good example as somebody else important to the franchise comes up for uh an extension or a new contract and so and it also saves a lot in the luxury tax bill they had to keep him they found a way to keep him right away i think that was the first signing we heard about big fan of what the warriors did agreed and we don't know of course the end of their offseason but some of the smaller like i mean the clippers getting kj martin for not a whole heck of a lot is pretty impressive i like kj martin i think he can play on a good team you know probably not closing games but to get him for like it was what one or two seconds like that's a nice move yeah absolutely um We'll see if he's getting enough playing time to be happy there. You know, the problem with K.J. Martin is he wants to play as much as somebody slightly better than K.J. Martin would play. True. And the Clippers, I mean, they might be shedding some depth in a future deal. Who knows? It's entirely possible. <laughs> um, and I I don't know how I feel about it yet, but the Bruce Brown contract just lingers for me. The idea of giving, you know, giving Brown who Phil, he fills a lot of unusual sometimes hard to fit things with fewer weaknesses it's sort of the selling point of fred van vliet as well it's like he does the things he does well but he also does the things that he does relatively poorly still pretty well and so even if they're lower utility like he's not a dynamic on-ball player or all that type of stuff and the idea of giving him one fully guaranteed season and then a team option is notable because of the flexibility it gives the Pacers even if they don't end up using said flexibility because now if there's an injury or he's a really bad fit or you end up wanting to use him in a trade for somebody else like all of those things are on the table in a way that they wouldn't so I'm not saying it's going to work I'm not saying that he cures everything that ails the Pacers but it's definitely striking yeah that was the uh first signing uh that got an audible gasp from me uh but that was also before we knew the second was a team option which does make it look more reasonable I mean, it's an eye-popping number for bruce brown players of that type usually don't get paid so much i thought, I thought you put it real well uh on dunked on when you said like it was a this summer has been uh has, has refuted a little bit of yay points right it's it's guys who do other things well and that's definitely bruce brown um you know he's definitely a good player and uh that that kind of gets to what i was talking about before of you know you can't just get caught up in the value the value of the contract matters but getting good basketball players matters too and you can't wait around for the perfect value it's going to take a long time for me to evaluate what the celtics are and where they're going and the paths taken and not taken with Kristaps porzingis but it was really and i want to talk mostly about the fit on the court because that's the most fascinating part of the story but porzingis looking like he took significantly less than the maximum allowable extension is a pretty big surprise yeah but with his health history uh, i'm not totally shocked right only because we already did the surprise weren't you shocked by how little the wizards gave up to get him you mean you mean the Celtics? No, the Wizards. I, I when, oh, when they got it from the Mavericks. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that so, was and and I mean and also 
they're not being strong enough offers for Porzingis that opting in was the right, or at least was a reasonable financial decision, even if it ended up being facilitating, facilitating him going somewhere he couldn't have gone otherwise. Right. And and so I, I, I just felt like we would already seen enough clues that his value, I'm assuming because of health, was just so far down that I'm not shocked on the extension. What do you think of the fit on the court, though? <sighs> I really like the trade when they weren't giving up Marcus Smart. I, I like the fit of Porzingis a lot. I think his his rim protection will be will, will be good for them. You know, fits into what they want to do defensively. Maybe they, well, they definitely lose a lot of defensive versatility just losing Smart, and they probably would have lost a little defensive versatility even for just Porzingis in this trade for uh, uh, for brogdon as the outgoing salary uh but i i just think overall you got a floor spacer uh that's that's going to be important give give their uh star forwards more of a chance to more space to work with and just having another good player uh where all three of them are health wise i really like that porzingis al horford and robert williams the third can allow each other time on the bench you know, time to rest, and so none of the three should have to be overextended. It's a key point, and I think that it will be viable to play any two of the three. We already saw, of course, a lot of Horford and Williams minutes, and with Porzingis also having another player, even if it's not the greatest strength in his game, who, like, if things are going a little bit off, can get a bucket. He's not going to do it through, like, a bunch of triple threat moves, but, like, he's taller than everyone, and he can take those shots, and if they're playing him at the four, then you can run some certain things, and... But, but wait, before you get to that, sure. don't forget what you're going to say. I do want to hear it. But I'm curious whether he can play with Robert Williams, how well that look, how well that looks defensively. Because Robert Williams isn't as mobile as he used to be with these injuries. And, and so I think that has the highest upside. If you're giving me Robert Williams uh, before he got hurt, I would love that pairing defensively. I think that'd be awesome. I don't know now. I'm a little more concerned. I'm not taking it for granted. Not taking it for granted, but also Joe Missoula did a lot with Robert Williams defending the other team's weakest perimeter threat. And then if you need somebody else to guard the center, Porzingis can do a credible job there. Well, at his best, Robert Williams was guarding the weaker uh, perimeter defender, but also or, or perimeter offensive player, but using that as an opportunity to kind of like roam around. Yes. And, and I didn't see the same roaming around. And so that's that's why it'd be okay, right? There's nothing that's going to go terrible. But to me, it could be if, if Robert Williams could get back to that level of activity, if his body can handle that, then that could be an awesome defensive pair. It could be. And we haven't seen anything yet with Jalen Brown extension. My thought is that it's coming if the Celtics are willing to offer it, but we don't know. But having another player who can who can do some things, it I think could be useful for them. And they will miss Smart, and it puts more on Derek White. Um, but and also like changes them as a passing team and a bunch of things. Like I think there are parts of Marcus Smart's game that are overappreciated. Um, I, he didn't deserve one defensive player of the year a year ago. But no, his his ability to be a connector, even if he never became like a nail shooter, really did help the Celtics. But what I'm excited to see there is that I'm not putting this at Marcus Smart's feet. You almost always do this on the stars, and that's the Jays for, for Boston. There were times, I mean, it was prevalent in the 22 finals. It was prevalent at times in their playoff run. I mean, even before that, remember, they, you know, the team, they didn't knock out teams as quickly as they should have in earlier rounds of the playoffs, too, um, in 22. When their offense just, like, got a banana in the tailpipe, Marcus Smart could not get them out of that. And I don't think that's his fault. You know, again, that's the Jays for me. But maybe having Porzingis just 
forces Missoula, forces Tatum, forces Brown, and the failure, you know, the failure in last year's playoffs to reassess and maybe be more open to wholesale changes, which have eluded Brad Stevens, Ime Udoka, and Joe Missoula now, despite their overall talent level. It could. Um, I, I think offensively, I, I can see that. I, I'm a little concerned about just losing the defensive versatility. I'm also concerned about... Uh, this stuff is so hard to evaluate from the outside, but I think it is so important too. So it's a it's a tough balance. But I think there's something to losing the the heart and soul of your team. What, what Smart did as a tone setter, what he did as the attitude, his hustle, how that was contagious. I, I think that stuff was important. Now the the counter is, you know, a this was Mark Marcus Smart was the heart and soul of a team that. Uh, oftentimes lost his composure down the stretch and mm-hmm. kind of got like went stale uh that could go one of two ways you could say uh, maybe he was overrated in those regards it wasn't that good or you could say oh my god imagine how much worse it's going to be without him and we're going to get a lot more information on that front because the expectation has to be that the celtics are going to be firmly in that mix moving forward if and, uh go ahead, oh, go ahead. No, I was go. Saying, there's there's one thing i do want to talk about if uh you tell me if this is the good time sure okay i was this is what i was thinking about how many teams are there that you put into a different class of team since last season? Uh, so the, the entire offseason, like, what teams have really are, are in a new place in the league? And I feel like there's only a few. I feel like we usually have more. But I, I'd say Washington went from a somewhat competitive team to, like, tanking. Uh, the, the Trailblazers are going from, you know, a, a somewhat competitive team when healthy to, like, you know, without Lillard, it's a whole new direction. They're, they're, and, they're and rebuilding. They're I, not, will, I will note before we know the potential return in a, in a Lillard trade, the idea if they sacrifice assets to try to be competitive now well the way that that will succeed is that they're i think they're going to be so bad that they won't actually sacrifice you know like the, their picks will actually be end up being pretty good but like they're david like their offense is so lillard like lillard was raising so many boats and losing that is going to be a fundamental change for them yes but uh i can also see a scenario where uh scoot henderson and um Shade and Sharp are a little bit ahead of schedule, and the Trailblazers are ready to win before Lillard and his new team wins. Like, where he regrets leaving. Like, he's leaving a team that's on the upswing. Uh, They've already hit, I think, rock bottom. Uh, maybe that's a little different, it, at least if he had stayed. That might be a little different if he leaves and they trade him for primarily Ill draft assets and, and really young players or something like that. But I think if he had stayed, uh, this thing, they got in their, their intriguing young talent. Now, fit is another thing. Uh, but he might, I think it's within the realm of possibility he regrets leaving just in terms of winning. Within the realm, for sure. Um, but yeah, on your overall point, like teams that fundamentally change who they are. Uh, I, I had one more, and that's Houston. They went from, you know, lousy bottom of the league to, like, middling. Uh, but uh, so other than those three, is there anybody you see as just in a really different place w- within the league's hierarchy from last year to this year? Possibly San Antonio, if Wembenyama is, yeah. can be that guy. I think it's going to take him a year. I hope it doesn't. I hope he's that he's that player right away. But for me, it's it's them. And then the other ones, so, like, it's so funny because – Kevin Felton and I got into versions of this argument like three times in the mock season. But when I watched the Jazz last year, the post-Conley trade Jazz, like I just 
didn't believe in them offensively. And so some of those teams, like, I think they showed us who they were, but not over the full season sample. They still want some games, to be abundantly clear. But, like, them and the Brooklyn Nets... Like the Nets are, you know, they're more like a like a fringy playoff team that has some upside, and maybe they're a facilitator. Maybe their their fortune shift a little bit with kind of straightening out the roster and everything else. But like, I would add those in too of the teams that like change themselves during the season, but we the sample is still a little bit the the full season sample wasn't representative. Those yeah. sorts of situations as well. So it sounds like we're agreeing: no new championship contenders. Obviously, the hundred Lillard trades could swing that, but not yet. And yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And um, there might be some teams that formed up or weakened uh, their place within the mix. Sure, sure. But like, and I guess we're also saying no no teams that we considered championship contenders last year have dropped out of it because as much as we're saying you know the Wizards and Trailblazers have fallen, um, they weren't championship contenders. Right. So, so, So the pool of championship contenders is the exact same. As of right now, yes. I, I expect yeah. it to change that's at some point in the next two weeks. But yeah, that's a that's a really f- interesting macro point. Well, you expect it to change in the next two weeks. Interesting. Can you uh, can you elaborate? Well, I guess so. If <laughs> Damian Lillard goes to Miami, they were already won. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've kind of pulled the Clippers out of that. I don't know that Harden would put them in. I also spent like a few minutes thinking about, oh my God, if the Clippers could get Lillard. I don't think it's what he wants, and that means it's probably enough. Like we haven't heard any indications. That's of it, interesting. But that's like because the Clippers can actually offer they can offer a fair amount in a deal. They have better filler salary. They could send Norman Powell back. <laughs> um, but I, I I did consider them a championship contender. I yeah, it's they're one of those like if it works out type of teams, and I always have real trouble like there's the like because you you often make the argument of like there is a chance even if that chance isn't necessarily fantastic um but yeah i i think that's a healthy way of putting it and then there are also some like i'm very open to the idea that the Cavs shored up some stuff but they didn't fundamentally change who they are um yeah they you know could i could feel more sold on them as you know i mean they had a pretty rough playoff exit last year even though they had a successful regular season like but i think those are more like i draw a harder you know like i have a thinner group at the top than most people do and so like i wouldn't have cleveland in there but if somebody who draws it a little bit more broadly maybe somebody who was more open to like the kind of the memphises of the world and and maybe like i mean i was always a little bit skeptical of denver and now they're the champions and you know they had an awesome they have an awesome playoffs there's nothing you could say discount it so maybe i'm the one who's wrong here yeah i i had cleveland uh i would say on the fringe of championship contention last year i didn't love how inexperienced they were in the playoffs that type of team almost never wins it right away um so i and i i you know i also like the the moves they've made i feel like they're a little deeper and i don't know if they have necessarily the answer on the wing max Drews a little bit smaller than the ideal player type that they could have gotten but you know it's okay it's it, it should be a big upgrade um I guess if I, I guess if there's a team that went from not championship to contention to contention, it's them. But I think I would have had them on the fringes of championship contention last year. Although obviously it looks silly considering uh, how the playoffs went for them, and I'm not sure too many other people are, are going to put them in championship contention right now. How do you feel about the Suns? We haven't really brought them up in all this. Do you think that Beal fundamentally changes their place in this conversation? No, I think they were a championship contender before. I think they're a stronger championship contender with Beal. Obviously, they gave up Chris Paul, who is a really good player. Um, I think at this point, given how everybody's talked about, underrated and how much he helped them last year. Um, 
I think there's a decent chance Beal doesn't help them as much as Chris Paul did last year. Um, but that's not the right comparison in a certain sense. And it, 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 for the question I asked, sure, it is. Uh, the question for the Suns is, will Bradley Beal help them more next year and beyond than Chris Paul would have? Um, yeah, but yeah. forward-looking rather than backward-looking. Yeah, that, right. that's, that's totally fair. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other kind of thing that I'm going to be looking for, and like th- this is going to be a huge story of the 23-24 season, is do we see any players move into like the more rarefied airs, like these younger guys? And we had some really frustrating star-cross seasons for, you know, John Morant was mostly off the court, Zion not really playing hmm. as much. And, you know, Tatum took a real step forward, and, and that's a great step for the league. But can we see more of those? Can we get, you know, another really great Luka season, and maybe the Luka Kyrie pairing works really well? I, I'm skeptical, as I, as I have been the whole time. But that the idea that like I, I the idea that a team works their way in not through external improvement but by the internal improvement that great players often do. Hmm. Uh, so right, not not something where it's the off season moves, but you're saying a, a, so. I mean, Cleveland, if you didn't have them in championship contention, that to me would be a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were saying you didn't have Memphis in championship contention. Well, I thought they were more on the fringes. Like, okay, I, I for me, teams like that don't usually win the whole thing. They were a team. That I, I, this is actually where I had the Clippers last year, in part because of their injuries. Where it's like I could see them winning any single series, but I didn't think they'd win four. Ah, see me if you could see them winning any single series, I think they're a championship contender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I talked about I, I have a I have a harder line than I think some people do, and that's probably the biggest difference is the idea that like you can't beat every type of opponent or something like that. You'll run into somebody, or you're like in many of these cases, your offense isn't consistent enough, and you're just going to flatline at some point. And we've seen some of those teams like make the NBA finals and, and do pretty well. And like, I mean, I had a fundamental skepticism with Miami, despite my immense respect for Spo. And like, they got a whole hell of a lot closer than I thought they would. But they also, you know, didn't actually win the championship. I mean, th- this is getting far fetched now. But if Anthony Edwards makes the leap and the Timberwolves make a trade that balances their roster, like that could come together very quickly. Sure, sure. I mean, the idea, I mean, I've posited for a couple of years now that Anthony Edwards was the, he's the key player for their, what was their present, is, or what what was their future and is now their present. And that's a part of why I hated the Gobert trade so much. And where, I mean, Edward, if, if he can do, you know, like if any of these players can come into the, not necessarily into the top 10 right now, but like, oh, it's coming, that would be, you know, it's going to be one of the next game changers. And I, whether it's Edwards or Tyrese Halliburton or Paolo Bancaro or Victor. I mean, of course, he's probably the most obvious possibility there. Like, that's going to be real fun. Yes, absolutely. You want to do live reaction on Sabonis's uh, extension? Sure, we could do that. And so it... Um the numbers on it are still going to be a little bit in flux, um, <laughs> whether, whether where exactly this goes. And so the Kings are using cap space to raise Sabonis' number for the 23-24 season, and then you build four more years off of that. Um, Woj saying $195 million in new money. I have not yet worked the math on it. And I love the way Sabonis made the Kings watchable, how he makes their offense work along with Jared Fox and Mike Brown did a great job coaching them. My initial reaction is I don't think he's this kind of guy. He picked the right time to uh, 
Oh, yeah. Sign this. I mean, he's never going to look better, I I believe, that. The highest uh, of watermarks. But we, uh, this one, I mean, that's been said earlier in his career, too, and it turned out not to be true. Um, he hit this next level. So, I don't know. There's a, there's a reason when we're talking about new contenders and a young team that could break into contention with internal growth or uh, – None of neither of us said the Kings. It's part of what made the, and this has happened before. I mean, there was one where it was possibility with Chicago with Zach Levine, which is funny because the Kings remember they they made him that offer sheet at low those many years ago. I'm so I, there was a year I think it was Orlando or some some team like this. Like they had a really great year and they largely kept the band together but didn't improve. And I was frustrated because I thought they took the wrong lesson from what happened and that they you know they had a great season but they a lot of things went right and most of the time that doesn't happen for any team not to say that sacramento was particularly vulnerable to this i think in some ways they're actually less but the idea that you're healthier than everyone else not only in terms of your guys being around but in terms of facing a bunch of unhealthy teams and their flaws defensively not really being being solved so instead of instead of being like hey we did well but we could do better you focus on making sure that you do that you keep that team together and i think generally that doesn't work out super well uh i think the well i don't know if it's the all-time best example but a great example of this was the 2002 pistons they won 50 games they kind of came out of nowhere they were a real try hard team and they won the championship two years later but they had turned over nearly the entire roster in those two years uh really the only starter who was still a starter was ben wallace and i i think that's the opportunity for sacramento with something similar and they don't the kings don't have the guts to do this but the trade values of all their players are at an all-time high uh and you've got to figure out who you can win big with and who you can't and it's not easy, right? The reason the trade values are high is because you won and you feel good about it. And so, I don't know, is Kevin Herter going to, if your goal is to advance deep in the playoffs and win deep in the playoffs, is Kevin Herter your guy? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, is Malik Monk? Maybe, maybe not. And this is where the best front offices could make their money is identifying who's a keeper and who should we sell high on. Uh, I'm pretty convinced the Kings, uh, obviously it's a bonus, but all the way down are just going to keep everything together. And I, I think Sabonis, uh, to me, from what I'm looking at, is who would I want to sell high on? Uh, Sabonis would be number one, but I get it. They haven't been in the playoffs forever. He's been, he was excellent for their culture. I don't think he got enough credit for what he did last year. And for playing I know how, hurt? And that's exactly where I was going. I, I know you didn't pick him for All-NBA, and if I picked it how you did, I wouldn't. For me, he was an easy third-team choice, not just how he played, but how he played hurt and how that set the tone 100%. Uh, had an awesome season. Happy on a certain level to see that rewarded. Like I, I want the NBA regular season and to matter more i want guys to 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 show their toughness and you know play hurt with within what they can and push themselves and uh well, and, i think and, it's awesome he's getting rewarded and here's the other argument in favor of this for the kings even if they didn't execute it in the way that i would have they are not locking in but firming up the possibility of being a consistently relevant fun team yeah. and that is a fundamentally fun great place for this fan base to be and they yep. should be getting plenty of fans in the arena they can have this enthusiasm they earned the love that they got from their fans last year and yep. even if they never win a championship even if they you know and i'm not saying definitively anything about that or although they'll never win a playoff series or anything like that I, I think they i think they'll be competitive for a while now it's so funny that this comes on the heels of the portland trailblazers but like there are worse fates in this world than being a fun to watch 
relevant team for a half decade or more. And I I agree with that. Um, I think it's underrated how this team wasn't a lot of like some previous Kings attempts to sneak in as the number eight seed. Like, and obviously they didn't just sneak us in, the, in as the number eight seed either. This team was built to sustain for multiple years, except I think their true level, and maybe I'm underrating them. I mean, I, their record was much better than I thought last year. But I think the level of play they're headed towards sustaining isn't necessarily a team that makes the playoffs every year. Like, it's a team that's always in the mix and might win a playoff series some years and might even win two with the right matchups, but also might miss the playoffs some years. And so much of this is about expectations, and expectations grow. And I'm curious how the organization, from ownership down especially, but also even fans, how everybody in Sacramento processes well what if next year we're at a similar level what what you and i think is a similar level but they don't get the right breaks and they're the eighth best team in the conference and they lose in the play-in tournament like how do they feel i might say hey that's cool you were in the postseason again and next year you're going to be a similar team and you might be the sixth seed and go straight to the playoffs and the year after that uh you might be the the fourth seed and have home court advantage in the first round and the year after that you might be back in the play-in tournament like i feel like that's kind of where they're headed but how do they process it after a down year it's a great question, and we'll take some time, and I'm really interested in where things go from here. But thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dan Feldman for taking the time to come on. You can listen to and read his excellent work as a part of Dunked on Prime. He does the Daily Dunks, does a simply excellent job. And one of the things I appreciate most about Dan, not only as a colleague now, but as somebody who did great work in this space before that, is he is excellent at filtering through the volume of content that surrounds basketball and distilling it into the things that the pieces that are worth reading and the things you need to know. And as somebody whose time is more valuable, particularly right now, I really do appreciate that. I read it every day, even though I consume plenty of basketball media myself and really get a lot out of it. I hope and expect that you do the same. And I'm so thrilled to have him in the Dunked On family. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can subscribe and download every episode, whatever podcast player you use, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. And if we're not somewhere where you want us to be, please let me know and I will pass it on the chain. I am not skilled enough to solve that problem myself, but I can pass it to other people who are. You can also help other people find the show. That is word of mouth. That can be social media, really however you want to do it. Single episode, the show in general. Really do appreciate that. Real Jam Radio has been around a long time, but there are still people trying to find it. And the single most important thing for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is that no sweat first bet up to $1,000 at FanDuel, fanduel.com slash Boston. Talked about, of course, earlier in the podcast. You can also check out my other work, including the Dunked On and Dunked On Prime with Dan Feldman. And we did the mock-off season recently. It was a bunch of really good content. I truly love doing that every year. And Dan's excellent work, John Hollinger, and of course, Nate and I doing a lot of our, our work. I think we do, this is some of our strongest time of the year going through every single transaction. I'm actually going to be recording with Nate on the July 1st elements of this very shortly after after this podcast. So if you're a subscriber, you can get that there too. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or different, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That's an absolute promise. I will try to get back to you, but this is not the greatest time for that. But it is more of a feedback in that sense. That's why I tell you that up front. You can also check out my written work at The Athletic. I should have some stuff. I have some, I've mostly been doing consulting for the whole staff right now, but I have 
a couple things that I might put into words at some point in the near term. But that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Thank you.